0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the Healthy for Life podcast, where we will be discussing maintainable, sustainable, conscious living. I'm your host, Sarah Grace. Thanks for joining me. Hey, everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Healthy for Life. So glad that you are all here with me today. I want to talk to you about nutrition, health and nutrition. And I actually have a PhD in nutrition coming on and joining me shortly. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I feel like uh, she's going to have some great things to say to you all. I just felt like, boy, there is so much that we can do in our own lives with what we eat. We, we know this, everyone kind of knows this, but I, I definitely wanna dive into it more today. But there is just so many things that you can do on a daily basis to improve your health, to reduce your risk of disease, of, of catching viruses, you know which one I'm talking about, and to just improve your physical body from weight loss to gaining muscle, and that can also help your, your mental health as well. And I just think that this area is being completely overlooked in our current time right now. It's not being talked about enough. Of course, it's being talked about in the health and fitness realm with people who are into fitness and into health, but it's not being talked about on a larger scale by our government health agencies and it's funny that a lot of them are put in place to keep us healthy, to keep us informed, but yet the very key to our health, nobody's discussing. And the, that's basically the things that you put in your mouth and on a daily basis, from the food you eat to the supplements you take and what we can do you know, every day in our lives to improve our health and to prevent disease and to improve our immune system. These are very simple tools that you can implement, but the the focus is away from that and it's on other things. And so for a lot of people who are not educated or maybe who aren't as aware, they're only getting their information from one source. They aren't hearing about all the things they can do to take responsibility for their own health. And they're not hearing the little things that they can do on a daily basis. The wiser food choices they can make, the supplements they can take, all to keep their immune system strong, to lower their risk with negative outcomes for certain diseases and viruses. So, I want to bring Ashley Lucas in. She's a PhD, and she's going to tell you more about her training and her background but I want to bring her on here to get into this topic today and to discuss these things and uh, to to hear her side of the story and kind of her thoughts on uh, nutrition and health. So let's get Ashley on. Hey, Ashley, thanks so much for joining me today. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, I grew up being a ballet dancer. Um, I spent my youth training in it, went to boarding school for ballet, my undergraduate degree in ballet. And I was a professional ballet dancer for quite a few years. And, um, you know, that career, that field is so challenging from the aesthetic and physical demands that are placed on us. And so I was chronically under eating and dieting and exercising a lot, even, you know, after eight hour days of training and performing to try to maintain the weight that was required for me in the sport. And as a result of that, that chronic under eating, I was um, injured all the time. I was rarely at the weight that I needed to be for my sport, despite all of that effort. And when I was, I Had stress fractures in in my feet and my back. And so uh, I loved dancing. It was my identity. It's all that I knew, but it was a struggle for me. And and actually, my career ended uh, when I was flown to New York to perform, you know, every dancer's dream. (laughs) And instead of finding myself in the spotlight, I found myself in the ER. And I had no idea what was going on. I I thought that I was having a heart attack. Um, But after a whole bunch of different tests, the neurologist came back and told me that I was simply over-exercised and underfed, and I was having a panic attack. It's um, amazing
0: how our bodies find ways of communicating to us.
1: <laughs> they do. It said, "You can't do this anymore." <laughs> you know, mentally and emotionally, I I couldn't handle it anymore. Physically, obviously, I was at threshold, and so um, you know, I was flown back home. I missed all of the once-in-a-lifetime performances. And I felt like a failure, you know, it, it might not sound like a big deal, but at the time it was 20 plus years of struggle and sacrifice that just hit me at a tidal wave, like a tidal wave. I, I couldn't continue and I, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I feel, I felt then like I, I had stepped away from that career before many people would have said that I really made it. So I, I felt like a failure um and when I was investigating what to do with my life after that I understood how significantly nutrition or lack thereof um impacted my own sport performance so I decided to go on and pursue a career in the field of nutrition and weight management. Wow. And so so,
0: so in at this point you were like young 20s? Mid 20s. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and so I went on and and I went to earn my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. And I wanted to study everything that I had experienced personally. So I wanted to understand, you know, metabolically what's happening inside all of us chronic dieters. (laughs) What happens when we chronically under eat and over exercise? And then most importantly, what happens to us um, from a a mental and emotional standpoint? What changes can we make from behavioral aspects to support positive change within the body rather than just, you know, white knuckling and, and pushing through and making our bodies do something that physically is just almost impossible. And so that's what I did during my doctorate work, I, I studied the impact of that, the, the metabolic impact of chronically under eating and exercising, and then looked at the behavioral component associated with making change. Mm. Well,
0: let's talk about that a little, actually, because mm-hmm. I feel like that is probably a good majority of people. I mean, I'm in the CrossFit space, and I see people mm-hmm know, those workouts are hard and they go day after day to the gym. Oftentimes, you know, with CrossFit, it's the camaraderie. You love kind of the vibe, the mm-hmm. friendships, all of that. But a lot of people do it because they want to get in shape and they want to look a certain way. But you do see people who go day after day and they never change their bodies. And oftentimes, I've known over the years when, when I was a personal trainer, there was a lot of people who were not able to lose weight or lose fat because they were overtraining or they were in adrenal fatigue. So can you talk about what did you discover during this time when you're pursuing your doctorate?
1: Yeah. You know, um, part of my research, what I, what I did was I looked at a group of professional athletes, Um, And I pair match them to a group of recreationally active um, individuals. And so you and, and I pair match them according to their amount of muscle mass. So you would think that the athlete who's exercising more would be able to eat more. And you would think that their metabolic rate would be higher. Compared to those recreationally active controls who were, you know, maybe exercising an hour a day, eating whatever they quote unquote wanted to. And what I found was the resting metabolic rate of the professional athlete group was significantly lower than the recreationally active group. And the athletes ate significantly less as well.
0: Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: So what that shows is that if we do chronically undereat, the body adapts, the metabolism adapts, and it starts to um, shut down a bit or slow down, let's say, so that we can only tolerate a specific amount of food to maintain this this lean body composition.
0: So, mm-hmm. would you say that we often see? you know, kind of going into, uh, uh, with an athlete, they're going maybe into like adrenal fatigue or that fight or flight. So their body is not getting into the state where they're going to be digesting and relaxing. So they're not maybe even interested in eating as much or what was...
1: Yeah. So, so I, I think that the body adapts to whatever we do chronically, and and that probably shows in what you're saying too, in that we see athletes who do the same thing day in, day out, and their bodies just not changing. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's adapt, there's no it's adapted, there's no variety there. So I think right. that's a component, but also the body will start to shut down a bit, just like you said. We have adrenal fatigue. Maybe the thyroid starts to slow down. um, When we simply just don't have enough energy for the body to operate, that's when for us women, we start to see female athlete triad. We see menstrual irregularities because the body just doesn't have enough energy to support a strong menstrual cycle. We start to see um, bone health issues, osteoporosis, stress fractures because the body doesn't have enough energy to support optimal bone growth. Um so so I think those are the aspects that we see happen when we chronically undereat and just support a high stress load in the body. We can eat all of the most wonderful things, but if we're in a state of high stress, high cortisol, we're not gonna see the response that we would expect.
0: Exactly. And so would you say this is the case for a majority of athletes or, you know, because the athletes that are on a high level, like say the Olympics, which we just Mm -hmm. saw or CrossFit games, they just had, they're often working with nutritionists and coaches that I'm assuming are making sure that they're eating the appropriate amount to, you know, make up for what they're burning and what they need. So do you see this in a majority of athletes or maybe people who haven't quite made it to that level yet?
1: I would say we see it, yes, in the people who might not be at the elite level and who are perhaps trying to do this on their own, but also in the sports where there's a demand for an extremely low body composition. Okay, right. Mm Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah.
0: In ballet being one of them, I used to mm-hmm. compete in women's figure, exactly. which is, you know, in that I stopped getting my menstrual cycle for probably over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, exactly what you're saying. Because too, you're restricting calories, fat, all of those things.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that, you know, I started after um, I earned my PhD, I actually went on and... Um, became a registered dietitian because I wanted to be this expert in the field of weight management and nutrition. And I felt that that was the route that I needed to go. But during that internship and all of that coursework, I realized that everything I was learning was the usual mantra of calories in and calories out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just knew that personally, that did not work for me at all. So I took this research and I flipped everything that I learned in my dietetic internship upside down and created a different approach, an approach where we can um, you know, get the body into fat burn and create metabolic variability and not have to just chronically under eat and exercise to maintain our optimal weight. And so I initially started working a lot with these athletes that we're talking about and elite level athletes to help them optimize their performance, but support their metabolism while achieving their optimal body composition. And what I found had a a significant impact on these athletes had a more profound impact on those of us struggling with excess weight. And so I think that this is really overarching into those of us trying to drop weight in a sustainable fashion, because to lose weight, we've always been told, well, it's your fault, you need to move more, you need to eat less. And we get into this same state of a depressed metabolic rate, right?
0: Right. And it's always people are like, okay, I need to, you know, work out harder. And maybe if I go for a run after I do that spin class and I just right. push a little harder, but they're already in a stressed state, probably from work and just life in general. And then they are looking, counting these calories, you know, mm-hmm. well, I can't eat that. So then they're kind of depriving themselves of probably nutrients because nutrient dense foods are typically higher in calories. Exactly. And so is that what you kind of see a lot?
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so then you saw this, this issue with this kind of calories in calories out, you had to flip Mm -hmm. everything you kind of learned on its head and do it differently. And so did that kind of lead you to sort of this more ancestral way of, of looking at nutrition and looking at diet? It did.
1: Yes. It it blew my mind. You know, the first book that I read was The Primal Blueprint by Mark Sisson. Mm-hmm. Um, have you read that book?
0: I haven't read it yet, but I've heard of it. Yet.
1: Yeah. It, it's great. And it's simple. And it puts it into terms that anyone can understand. And it really changed my life. Um, he talks a lot about, you know, avoiding that Chronic cardio, which when I uh, let go of the the field of ballet, I I went into cycling and I would cycle, you know, 250, 300 miles a week instead. So I just Mm -hmm. transferred one type of over activity into another.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, And, and I was probably. 20 pounds heavier than I am now, and was exercising like crazy and counting my calories. And I just knew, understood that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I was eating all of these carbs and, you know, the, what we're, we're told from sports nutrition and Gatorade gels, goose, all that stuff. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and was just inflamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, started to read more about the, the ancestral way of, of living and eating and lifestyle and looking at exercise from that perspective too, you know, that we weren't meant to run for hours and hours at the same intensity. (laughs) Right.
0: And it's incredible that this, you know, they used to tell us with soccer, even like, make sure you eat a big bowl of pasta the night before somehow your body knew that the next day you were going to have a soccer game and all of that excess sugar that you ate the night before that got stored as fat or whatever is now your body's somehow going to call on that during this soccer game, you know, 18 hours or 12 hours later. right? And people just keep kind of coaching that doing that. And Mm -hmm. it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? So that, and so do you see like a, an emotional component with a lot of these people that say overtrain? And like you said, you would go in and do this cycling and then you were under eating. And do you think for a lot of people that there's an emotional component that maybe involves some sort of addiction
1: Definitely. You know, I, I think that, um, if we look at weight loss specifically, that it is an addiction recovery process for the majority of people, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're stuck in our, our stories, but we're also stuck in this metabolic situation where we are craving these foods and so I always say that you know part of dropping weight in a sustainable fashion is breaking the ties with the foods we say we love that aren't loving us back.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. And the way that we've been told to eat um, just drives addiction, and and these foods are addictive, and so we get right. stuck yeah. in this this cascade. Um, yeah. And
0: I feel like there's an issue just from the time you're young as a child and and something that I see a lot in schools especially is that there's like this reward or punishment that Mm -hmm. involves food. Like if you're good, if you do what you're told, then you're going to get junk food basically. Or if you're bad, then you're not going to get that food and uh, you won't get a treat or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. I, I wonder sometimes if we're programming kids at a young age to use food for the wrong reasons.
1: Yes. I think for sure you're, you're spot on with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Cause I think food should probably be looked more at, at like a, uh, fuel and something that like vitamins or supplements, like they're there to, to keep you healthy and to keep you functioning and to like, take care of yourself with food, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, I think if we could allow our children to understand, um, you know, why they're eating in a certain way. You know, I have three kids, and I it's it's difficult because I don't want them to grow up looking negatively at food or even sugar. So they eat sugar, right? Um, because I don't want to restrict it so that when they're not with me, they just go crazy exactly. on it because that's not good either. But they sure understand, um, you know, that they need to get some protein and some fats in there with each meal and snack, and that that's the primary building b- block. And and we look at fruits and all the other foods there just as as cele- celebratory foods. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's kids are challenging.
0: Yeah. So why do you think so many people start diets and fail at them? Is there like, you know, at the root of it, what do you think it is? I mean, I guess maybe because they
1: don't work. <laughs> because they don't work. That's right. I, I think because for the most part, we dive into things that are just totally unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we try to limit portions. We count points. We try to restrict maybe major food groups without understanding what we need to replace those calories with. Mm, We just remove one thing and then say, I'm just not going to do this. And there's no way because nature abhors a vacuum and it's going to be filled with something else. (laughs) Um, and so, and, and then we're, we try to create goals of say, exercising more and, and eating less that just, is unsustainable. And we look at the research of that. We know that when we severely restrict our calories, uh, relapse is, is hugely prevalent. Mm. Uh, we know that it's unsustainable. And then just as we had stated earlier, or, you know, our metabolism shuts down and we go back and eat like a normal person because while well, we're starving and the weight comes back plus more. Right. So exactly. I'd say that's one aspect. And then, Another aspect is that, you know, maybe our desire to change doesn't really outweigh the desire to stay the same. Mm. We start a diet because we feel that we should, but we don't, we're not at threshold. Maybe our, our why isn't quite strong enough yet because to create this big of a change. We've really got to want it.
0: Exactly. That's such a good point. Yeah, I think that so many people are like, well, you know, I don't really like the way I look, I should get the weight off, it'd probably be better for me, my husband keeps time, my wife keeps saying, you know, whatever. So they kind of dabble in it, you know, and they're like, well, eat good for a couple days. And then, you know, but it it's sometimes, sadly, for people, it takes a diagnosis or a mm-hmm. A, a major injury, but I find that for a lot of people, it takes a diagnosis of something awful for them to really be like, all right, I've got to make changes.
1: That's right. I agree. Yeah. With you. So mm-hmm. it
0: kind of has to be that. Yeah. And that's what I find too, with a lot of diet programs, they're like, okay, you know, 30 days or, you know, 60 days or, and so people kind of go hard during that time, and then maybe it's not sustainable after, or they weren't really committed to the to the full change, and they just relapse back.
1: That's right. Yeah. Well, and there is a metabolic standpoint behind that why that happens too. And so, um, so the visceral fat, the belly fat that we carry, it, um, is this unique beast. And what happens is it it gets in the belly. It fills up the organs. It wraps around the organs and it squeezes them tight like a straight jacket. And over time, this, this deep belly fat grows its own blood vessels and wow. it gets a little oxygen supply. And once it does, it starts to secrete hormones. So when we're carrying around this belly fat, we've got this thing in there, this fat mass that secretes its own hormones that encourages one goal. And that goal is to get fatter as fast as possible. Unbelievable! So it's in there secreting hormones that make us hungry, that make us crave. There's no willpower in the world that's going to overcome that craving, that addiction to food metabolically, hormonally. Right, right. It, it slows our metabolism, it makes us lazy, because the last thing this fat mass wants us to do is go expend a ton of energy. It's really important to understand that if we're carrying around this, I call it this hungry fat mass, our body is just driven to want to eat these specific foods. Um, we don't really have to eat that much. And we witness continued weight gain. And you know, we're thinking, what the heck is going on? I'm eating pretty healthy but I'm still not dropping the weight. And that's true. And and this is one of the reasons why. So let's say we're carrying around this 50 pound fat mass and we do this 21 day transformation or 30 day transformation. Well, that's great. You're going to lose some amount of weight, but there's still going to be a significant amount of that left of that fat mass, that tumor like fat And so you're going to be at about a 98% risk of gaining it all back. So if we don't fully collapse the fat weight, we don't get the body truly where its sweet spot is, which is different for each person, which is going to not just take 30 days for each person. Right. Then you're going to relapse.
0: Right. That's just, it's such a, a different and yet very understandable way of looking at it and why so many people fail exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like for a lot of people, it could probably take six months, even a year to really retrain their body and get into that fat. I mean, what do you think?
1: Totally. Yeah. You know, so, for, for our clients, it is always customized and the length of the specific weight loss phase is dependent upon their body and where it needs to be. So mm-hmm. it could be a year for it could be a year and a half if someone has 200 plus pounds to drop. Right. Um, so we've got that metabolic situation going on and then it just takes time to create new habits and behaviors. It t- mm-hmm. takes constant awareness from a recovery standpoint to maintain change. So it's, there's no 90 day fix, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> so what happens with the body when you do start to balance it, you're eating mm-hmm. appropriately? What happens? First, really, does the body fight to take from that stored fat last, you know, and and burn it, shrink it? You know how Mm -hmm. they always say, like, build muscle and it'll shrink fat? Yeah. Can you explain some of that?
1: Let's see. So, what I find is that we drop weight in the opposite direction that we put it on. Mm -hmm. So, if we put it on in the belly first, that's going to be the last to go. And we know that the belly fat is the most active. So often we'll say, oh gosh, I look and feel good enough, but that belly fat, that most toxic fat is still hanging on there. And oh my gosh, we regain. Mm. So that's one aspect of it. But if we can create a shift metabolically by how we're eating, what we're eating, when we're eating, then we can teach the body how to burn the stored fat. So generally what happens when we eat the standard American diet, it doesn't enable the body to be able to tap into that stored fat and burn it efficiently. And so we're hungry and we have cravings and we try to drop weight through restricting calories and it just doesn't feel good. And it feels like we're white knuckling it. Whereas if we can, again, shift the way that we're eating, what we're eating, when we're eating then we can do it in a way that we can open up those fat stores and we can start draining it and use that energy for our energy throughout the day.
0: Right. So like with the standard American diet, you you know, you're going to be eating a lot more carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. maybe like fat free, zero Mm -hmm. sugar, which then has your artificial sweeteners and other things to make up for the lack of nutrients. So those type of foods will never, uh, encourage that kind of getting into that fat
1: burning right. that fat. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. You know, we're, we're told maybe to have some oatmeal heart healthy quote unquote yeah. oatmeal for breakfast, or, you know, they have all these different kind of plant-based yogurts, out there. If we eat oatmeal and a flavored yogurt for breakfast, we are immediately flipping the switch off to burn fat, burning fat for the rest of the day. Yeah. It doesn't matter if that yogurt is cashew milk or, or if it comes from a pea. <laughs> right.
0: Cause it still is high in sugar.
1: That's right. And usually lower in protein, right? Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Unbelievable. So protein, fats, what, what do they do in the body that sugar doesn't do?
1: What do they do in the body? So, well, they don't, um, have the body respond by secreting insulin. Yeah. Right. Insulin is our anabolic kind of growth-like hormone in a way it's also an inflammatory hormone. And so really the key is to keep insulin as low as possible. We want to eat those foods that don't spike it. Right. That's kind of it in a nutshell, a very simple nutshell. Yeah.
0: And, and isn't, protein and fats lower digesting. So then it's going to be more satiating too, right?
1: Yeah. It it takes a little bit more time. It's a little bit more difficult to digest. So we're going to feel fuller longer when we incorporate more of those foods, but it's kind of tricky because you don't want to go just crazy on your protein intake either. Right. You know, that's not necessary. And if you overeat your protein, then it spikes insulin, just like eating a carb.
0: Exactly. that right. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I feel like if you're really in tune to your body, you can kind of find that balance. Or if you can work with somebody like yourself, you know, mm-hmm. that would probably be ideal. But I, I know for me, um, I, over the years of kind of learning my body and paying attention, I, I've found a balance, I think, and I've, been able to get my body to work for me. But I think with your average person, they're just, there's so much information always mm-hmm. coming at you. Like, try this, do that. This diet's the best that you should be eating like this. And so they're just kind of like, let me try this, you know, and, and all these different things. And they can't really tell what's doing what.
1: That's right. Yeah. And and the cravings and the the hungers are so loud because it's, kind of difficult to create that metabolic shift on your own so you're just again trying to white knuckle it and just push through hunger and cravings that you're going to give up before you see the change because it just feels so bad right yep
0: so what are your thoughts on things like um Whole30 or the GAPS diet or, mm-hmm. you know, do you find that there are some good solid principles in those, those programs or what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that there are good starting points, but it's just challenging again, because 30 days, 90 days, it's just kind of an ambiguous number. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, again, uh, those are good starting points. They have good information. You know, at least they're not saying to eat five servings of grain a day.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
1: Um, and do
0: you do you find when you work with people that you recommend them going almost an, on like a detox type of um thing? Or do you just kick them right into eating better, you know, eating an adequate amount of the right foods? Mm -hmm. Or do you feel that some people need almost like an elimination type diet? Yeah,
1: Yeah, you're right. Everybody's different. For us, though, we're very specific and we create customized meal plans guiding each client on exactly what, when, how much they should be eating. So we take out all of the guesswork and we make it very simple. And then we monitor symptoms of, say, if there's hunger or cravings, then we know something's wrong and we fix it. Okay. And we have specific lists of foods to to focus on and foods that we're not going to focus on for a while. Mm-hmm. So um, we have a lot of precision in what we do. And then, you know, I, I my goal is for it to be sustainable. And so I don't want people to have to live a restricted lifestyle if it's not necessary. Right. And so for some people, we might eliminate more foods if there's sensitivities or allergies and, you know, odd symptoms. But I'd say that's maybe 1% of our clientele that we need to do that with.
0: Okay. So do you base these things at your practice on uh, blood work or like, are you getting that specific with people or?
1: We don't look at blood work because we have found that we can figure out pretty much everything we need by how the client is feeling and their weight loss progress. Okay. So for most of our men, we would expect to see about three to five pounds of weight of fat loss a week. And for most of our women, about two to three. Mm-hmm. And if we see that and we see good sleep, we see, you know, no hunger, no cravings, great energy, good mental clarity, then we're no we know that we're um, going along the right path.
0: So big question. How do you think obesity has played a ro- role in COVID? And mm-hmm. do you, do you feel that it is influencing some of the negative outcomes that people have experienced with COVID?
1: Yeah, that is a big question. Mm. You know, so we can look at the research and what the data shows us, and that is that, you know, 80% of ICU admissions associated with COVID have one or two chronic conditions associated with them, and the top two conditions are obesity and type two diabetes. And I just heard this statistic the other day, and that's that 77% of individuals who have passed away due to COVID are obese. And that those individuals who suffer from, say, post-COVID symptoms like brain fog and fatigue are also um, much more significantly to be struggling with overweight and obesity as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that it impacts it significantly. And we're finding that the reason why is all based on inflammation. Yeah. So we know that when we are carrying around this excess weight, like I talked about, it's active. These fat cells are active in there. And one of the hormones that they secrete is called interleukin-6, and that's an inflammatory based hormone. And so when we carry this excess fat, we are inflamed. And that's why we're at higher risk for metabolic syndrome, you know, like high blood pressure and high blood sugar levels and cholesterol and gout. And so that's why when we get COVID and it's, an inflammatory-based, you know, virus that we're already at threshold, and we simply cannot tolerate the the increase in stress.
0: Makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, now is the time, if ever, it's right in front of people. That's right. Just kind of smacked with the information, like mm-hmm. it's time to get your health in order and take mm-hmm. it seriously, because it could be. Something as simple as twenty pounds, fifty pounds, getting some of that inflammation down in your body. I mean, it's it's uh it's like we've all been given the opportunity. We've heard heard the word, you know.
1: Yeah, you know, I when I mention these statistics, I never mention it to increase our anxiety or shame or worry if we're struggling with this excess weight, but instead, just like you said, to reframe it as an opportunity. Exactly Right. Like we've probably known we've wanted to, or say maybe we've told ourselves we've needed to drop weight, but now we have this really, really great excuse (laughs) and reason as to why now should be the time and not to wait.
0: Right. And uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of part of the whole point of me starting my podcast was just to really encourage people to take responsibility for their health. I, (laughs) lived watching my mother you know diagnosed with cancer and passing 3 years later and she, you know i i saw how she suffered and it's like if i could just pass that on or or warn anybody like don't wait for something to happen you know, look preventatively. Look at your life, like quote. Like I see myself, and most people probably be like she's like super healthy because she's totally fit. But there are so many things I could do in my own life right. to
1: mm-hmm. prevent
0: disease, to improve my health. And I think that we all have that responsibility that we owe ourselves, just on a daily basis. Don't wait for that diagnosis, or in this case, the virus.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know? I agree with you. You know, I have this analogy and so it's like if i told you that i am going to buy you a car and i tell you that you know you can choose whatever car that you want it's free to you and you don't have to pay anything you don't have to pay for the taxes or the commission nothing all you need to do is enjoy it and drive it and maintain it and mm-hmm then I tell you that there's a catch. And the catch is that this is the only one free car that you get for the rest of your life. And so how would you take care of this car? You know, would you maybe get the oil changed on time or perhaps reconsider the type of fuel that you put in the gas tank? And would you maybe vacuum out the inside and and clean the outside a bit more often? So, it's just like our bodies. This is the one free body that we get for the rest of our lives.
0: So true. Right. And if if you really embrace that concept, every day is a gift and everything you do would be to keep that car in great condition and shining. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. so true. So what do you think makes the PhD weight loss approach different than others? I mean, you kind of touched on it a bit, but.
1: Yeah, well, you know, our, our foundational premise of getting the body truly where it needs to be and understanding that the, the length of the intensive phase of dropping weight has to be specific to you. Um, that's a big deal. And then from the food perspective, understanding that it's not just about eating less and moving more, but really tailoring what you're eating and when to support your unique body and get the body into this state of fat burn, which does not mean being keto or Atkins or one definition or another, but really figuring out what, you know, that nutrient composition needs to be for your unique body. And then understanding that 80% of any big change comes from the mind. So we have a very holistic approach where it's not just about what when and how you're eating, but how you're feeling. The mental, emotional, the habits and behaviors associated with making change and looking at it from an addiction recovery process that dropping weight is a process of letting go you know, letting go of this excess fat weight but also these emotions that are tied to it and so with us we have weekly one-on-one coaching with our nutritionists and dietitians and addiction recovery specialists health coaches to really make sure that we're creating sustainable change not just the nutrition there but us as as a whole being And then lastly, understanding that dropping weight is one thing, but maintaining it is a whole nother beast. So with us, maintenance support is free and for life. We never abandon our clients and understand that really maintenance is where the work is to be done. Right. Yeah.
0: Because once your body has kind of gotten into that nice groove, it and really you've maintained it for some time, I feel like it just starts working for you and it becomes just second nature. You know, a lot of that.
1: It does, doesn't it? It, It's so nice when the body works the way that it's supposed to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. So do you guys find that you work mostly with people that would be like in, in the obese category, or Mm -hmm. do you also work with athletes and say, maybe somebody who's more fit, but they just want to kind of fine-tune things?
1: We work with everybody. Um, you know, our first office ever, and uh, our it, we still have this office, is in Durango, Colorado, which I think is one of the fittest cities in okay. the nation. <laughs> and everything that I've created comes from this athletic background. And so we have a whole bunch of amazing athletes or just, you know, really fit people who want to optimize their health. Maybe they're struggling with 10 pounds of excess fat that they just can't stand, or maybe it's just energy, right? They have low energy and feel like they're inflamed and they want support that way. Um, we just worked with actually, um, a ballet dancer who had gained 25 pounds out of the blue and couldn't figure out what was going on. And she's five pounds away from her goal after, I think, 10 weeks. So um, another fellow who is riding his bike on a 400 mile bike ride over four days, which was not my suggestion. We're getting into <laughs> into chronic cardio there. However, we've supported him and he's been able to do it in a way where Um, He feels great. His body composition is where it needs to be. He has great endurance. So, Um, And then, you know, we just have this fellow I chatted with yesterday who's dropped 110 pounds and has 100 more to go. Wow. So yeah, we we love it because it's um, so great seeing such a wide variety of people be able to make such positive changes in their lives.
0: Right. And so do you guys focus just strictly on nutrition or do you also recommend supplementation to people and to add in or take out certain things? Do you go
1: there or? That's a great question. So in general, our focus is on nutrition and eating a nutrient dense diet. I find when we do that, we really don't need to take a whole bunch of supplements. Right. I do always suggest that our clients take a nice multivitamin, multimineral just because when you're dropping weight, the body is working hard and it is a stressor on the body. And so we have some suggestions of companies that are good quality, high quality supplements that Mm -hmm. we would recommend for our clients to investigate if they want to, but we don't sell anything. We don't, Promote any kind of hormones or shots or drops. We're really food based. Right.
0: And do you work with people who are dealing with chronic disease or things like cancer, mm-hmm. um, Lyme disease, any, any of those types of things?
1: Yeah. You know, when we shift up the way that we eat in this, um, through this approach, the benefits extend far beyond just weight loss. Mm-hmm. So you're right there that we can make impact with that. From a cancer perspective, we would always collaborate with the physician to make sure we're supporting their goals. Yes. Um, but yes, we, we can do that. Um, we love to work with individuals who have type 2 diabetes because most often we can put that disease into remission so quickly. It's just, it's a lot of fun.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that one is definitely all about what you eat. I mean, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. So if there was one thing a person could start today to begin living a healthier, more mindful life, what would it be?
1: That is a great question. And let's see. I would say a really helpful thing to implement would be to create a new identity and to step into it as to if it's your reality right away. And I say that because we can easily get locked into our own stories. So for example... Um, I'm always going to be an overeater or I'm never going to be able to get my body under X pounds or whenever I get to 150 pounds, I plateau and then I regain it. Mm. Um, Or I'm never going to be someone who looks fit and lean. So if we can create this new identity of whatever our desire and our goals are, say if it is to be lean and fit or vibrant and sexy or you know muscular and dynamic, whatever that specific right. goal is, to create that as an identity and to live as if you've already achieved it. Yeah. And when our I speak mind. to my clients about that, it's really helpful. Like let's say your your goal is to be lean and fit and full of energy, then what would you have in your cupboards and your fridge? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're out and about and you're hungry, where would you choose to dine out? If you had to go through a fast food lane, what would you choose when you order if you were that person already?
0: Right. That's so, so awesome. It's definitely, yeah, I think There has to be a retraining of the mind and that the power of the mind is incredible. And I think for a lot of people, they are often where they're at because of that internal kind of mental struggle or maybe what they've told themselves for a long time, how they viewed themselves. And so that's such a that's such a cool tip, I think.
1: Yeah. And I I think understanding again that weight gain isn't your fault. It has nothing to do with you. It's not a flaw in personality. It's not a flaw in discipline. Mm -hmm. And if you failed in the past, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that those antiquated methodologies have failed you. Mm -hmm. So if you can let that go and understand that it's not your, your fault, but that you can overcome it if you want to, And if we can start to set this new identity and move into it, and then it just takes belief and confidence and faith in yourself that you can do this simply because you want to. Yeah.
0: That's so, so encouraging and such a positive way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you and your locations? Because I know you said you have a couple locations now.
1: Yes, Um, so our website is myphdweightloss.com, and we have locations in a variety of places. We have a, a location in Durango, Colorado, and another office in Farmington, New Mexico, and then we're out here also in the Carolinas, so Asheville, North Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, and we just recently opened up a location in Charlotte, North Carolina. So cool. Which we're excited about. And then we have a very sophisticated and successful nationwide program. So we actually have clients all over the country and can help anyone who is ready to make a big change.
0: So do they just kind of go on your website and fill out like an application or?
1: We actually left-hand? only have our phone numbers. Oh, um, we've, wow. Yep. And so just go on to the website there and give us a call and we'll help get you all set up and learn about you and your story and figure out how we can best serve you.
0: That's awesome. And now do you have um, a Facebook or Instagram that you wanna share? Or do you feel like yeah. your website is the best?
1: No, um, we have great a great social media presence where we, and I try my very best to offer really valuable tips and encouragement um, and provide a lot of great information. So I have my own pages. So Instagram and Facebook, it's Dr. Underscore Ashley Lucas. And then we also have our Ph.D. Weight Loss pages. It's just Ph.D. Weight Loss on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, great.
0: And I'll also include these in the show notes so anyone listening can just go below in the notes and find these links as well. So Well, Ashley, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing this information with everyone and just chatting with me. It's so refreshing and just awesome to hear it so easily understood and and absorbable information. Mm -hmm. And and I love talking with people that I'm like, yes, like another (laughs) like-minded person is just so cool.
1: Well, thank you so much, Sarah Grace. It's my pleasure. I hope it was helpful.
0: Yes. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Great. Thank you.